music could be a valuable economic development tool. We did deep dives into what other music cities were doing and started asking ourselves what we could do to rise to their levels. In 2019, we created a Hustle Music Board, and then we hired Matt Mendrell as our music officer in 2022. Matt, where are you? Right there. He'll be up in just a minute. You know, one of the things that was essential to our success was the construction of an outdoor amphitheater. That facility had to be a facility that could attract top-tier talent. Uh, the world-class Orion Amphitheater certainly exceeded everything that we had beyond our expectations. After just one full year of operation, it was ranked 12th worldwide in ticket sales and 15th in gross sales. And the Orion has hosted numerous sold-out events, and the same is true of our Von Braun Center, which, is, which you're sitting in today. Just last week, we announced partnership with C3 Presents to create a large-scale music festival here at John Hunt Park, which is just to the south of us. And um, thank you for coming. Welcome to Export the Sound. I'm your host, Ben Ma. This is the second and final part on a story of Northern Alabama music in Muscle Shoals and Huntsville. In the first episode, we dove into the deep history of music in Muscle Shoals, but the problems it faces today in attracting and keeping talent. Today, we'll hear more about what Muscle Shoals can do and potential lessons from not just a music city, but the music city, capital M, capital C, Nashville. But we'll start with a focused look at Huntsville, who's trying to build their way to that talent. Here's what Matt Mandrella, the city of Huntsville's one and only music officer, had to say about their plan. Music office. Uh, we kind of look at ourselves as uh, Alabama's music launch pad. We established in uh, March of 2022 and served to create a more dynamic music environment that um, grows our economy, attracts visitors, and enhances the quality of life for our current residents. We nurture the city's music ecosystem through advocacy, policy, and strategic uh, planning initiatives focused towards ensuring that our thriving music culture stays thriving and grows. Uh, we're committed to supporting the career development of music industry professionals, and we aim to set a positive example to the broader community through promoting fair and competitive pay for work performed within the music sector based on the value of the services provided. You know, we look at cities like Austin and Nashville and Chicago that have these great music scenes, and our goal is to, uh, is to not be the same as those cities, but at least like have Huntsville in the same conversation as those cities when people are thinking about the great international uh, and national music hubs here in the country. We um, see music as a quality of life similar to a, a parks and rec department or greenways and trails where um, you know, all of these things can kind of just enhance the people that live here, whether they're in the music sector or not. And we also see it as a big workforce development initiative, not only for the music industry, but for people outside of the music industry to attract a workforce, where one of, one of Huntsville's challenges is we have the lowest unemployment in the country. Um, and we have about 15,000 jobs we need to fill. And so um, how do you fill jobs when, you know, statistically a lot of poster people already have jobs? And so, 
you know, giving people more options to do after five o'clock is a big way we can help uh, companies outside of the uh, music industry attract and retain their workforce. But can you build your way to musical talent? We can look to lessons from other cities. Norbert Putnam in the first episode said that Muscle Shoals was a miracle that it happened. What do well, you attribute to, to Muscle Shoals and, and the confluence that made it successful? I think it was an absolute miracle. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, because we were so off the beaten path, you understand. Mm -hmm. But Huntsville today is nothing like the level of remoteness that Muscle Shoals was in 1957. Maybe a better comparison could be Nashville a regionally large hub with a lot of industry behind it. So I talked to an expert on Nashville, songwriter and performer turned councilwoman, Joy Stiles. My name is Joy Stiles, and I'm a councilwoman for Nashville, Tennessee, and I represent District 32, which is an area about 15 minutes south of downtown, and I have around 20,000 constituents. I have not had the traditional trajectory in any way, shape, or form. My background is entertainment. So I was an actress and recording artist, a songwriter for 20 years. Uh, before I had a deal, got out of the business, and built a house. I built the house in a neighborhood, and I said, well, I'm vested now, so let's see what this homeowners association is about. And so eventually I became president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so as president, I really realized that the district and my neighborhood had all the same problems. It lacked good leadership uh, with great communication, transparency, accountability, and responsibility. And so for me, when I decided to run, having absolutely no political aspirations in my life ever, entertainment was the only thing that I ever wanted to do, um, I ran to be effective. I ran to be able to take the things that I heard other people complaining about, my own complaints, and do something about them. Nashville itself is a city that I know has gone through a lot of changes um, in the last few decades, going from what was once sort of a smaller town to now becoming a, um, an international destination in its own right, as well as one of the national, like all genre music hubs. So what have you seen from your perspectives, your changing perspectives, uh, from citizen, I guess, entertainer citizen to now policymaker in how Nashville as a city um, enabled this transformation? So to be honest with you, a lot of this was happenstance. Mm. There were some great leaders for the city, I will say, um, former Mayor Bill Purcell was, was tremendous in building bridges and looking at opportunities. Uh, former Mayor Carl Dean and also former Mayor Phil Bredesen, who brought pre the Predators to town, um, as well as the Titans. <clears throat> those, were, those were strategic moves. And the city has benefited from those. What I would say is that the individuals that created Nashville and then the people that were kind of maintaining it really had no intention of it growing. Hmm. 
and when you look at how the city was designed, you can see that it was designed not to grow. Mm. So things were not put in place in terms of infrastructure for roads to be expanded, right, for um, additional pressure to be put on electrical grids, for the, the water structure to be able to handle the capacity that we have. My area of town is the fastest growing area right now. So I'm working with Nashville Electric Service and also Tennessee Valley Authority to talk about the grid and the load and how are we managing that because I have a lot of power outages actually in my area. So these are the things that have hampered progress. In the midst of all of that, you have the music industry that has thrived on its own. And frankly, without any city participation, Mm. the city has ridden the coattails of the success of country music. So when country music became hugely popular, and I mean that in a broad sense, was the 1990s and the 2000s. So that's where you're seeing Garth, you're seeing Rascal Flatts, you're seeing Reba, all of this success coming out of country music that everyone across the country is seeing and not just people in the South. Yeah. Nashville is, and as I said, my background is entertainment, so Nashville is a songwriter capital. Like, it is the capital of songwriting. Every musician in Nashville plays more than one instrument. It is amazing. Um, So it is a talent hub that was operating on its own. So Music Row is where the publishing houses were and the Mm -hmm. labels were. And unfortunately, over time, uh, we haven't done a good job, frankly, as a city of, of understanding the history of Music Row and wanting to preserve things. So council members have rezoned things and allowed things to be torn down for hotels and silly apartment buildings to be built mm. instead of preserving the history. Um, certain things have been saved. Uh, RCA Studio A, you know, Elvis, all, you know, many yeah. past performers. Someone tried to tear that down. Um, y- yes. <laughs> and so there was a huge push to save that. And so thankfully it's still there. Um and so that's what I mean about country music has really done its own thing to create a name, maintain a name, and a presence for Nashville. There was no bridge, and I noticed this myself when I moved to Nashville, between the city and the creative class. So while music is, is certainly our main uh, creative factor, we now have film and television, we've got animation, we've got composing going on and so all of these entities are in town and they need support and so with that I decided when I got into office I wanted to do something about that and so I started doing research talking to various film commissions across the country Uh, Seattle and Tulsa happen to have offices that are both film and music which I thought that makes sense right are you doing it through the city through a mayor's office because every city is different yeah and, for example, the Atlanta Film Office is tremendous. It was started by Kasim Reed about 10 to 15 years ago, right? He put an emphasis on creating that office and really wanted to take advantage of the tax incentives that are in Georgia. The thing of it was, because it was important to him, he built it into such an entity that anyone who ran for office knew that they had to pay attention to the film office. The problem in Nashville was there had been iterations of attempts at having a film office, but they always failed because mayors didn't understand the arts. And so when I presented the idea of having an entertainment office, um, they liked that idea. There had previously been a, a Music City Music Council 
um, which had had some moderate success but fallen apart because it was started by a mayor who then left, and then the subsequent mayors didn't pick it up. Mm -hmm. So then I proposed, I did legislation to create a commission. Gotcha. And that commission um, ultimately would then be over the hiring of the executive director for the office, and so mayoral administrations can now change and never be affected. Really looking forward to seeing what this brings to Nashville in the future. And thank you for joining me, Councilwoman. No, it is it has been my pleasure, and I, I hope that you will come and visit us in Nashville and, and see things firsthand for yourself. So despite Councilwoman Stiles' ambitious plans to bring this kind of structure to Nashville, historically, Nashville doesn't really give us a great roadmap for how to use policy in order to build a music city. But there is one man who's very bullish, and he's perhaps the most deeply ingrained in the Northern Alabama music scene of all my guests, Sean Patrick. I'm Sean Patrick, and I am from uh, the Shoals area in northern Alabama. Uh, some people know us as the Muscle Shoals area. Uh, I live in the city of Florence. I was born and raised there. My mom um, had remarried, uh, and she married a studio musician named Bob Ray, who is a, uh, a legendary studio bass player. Bob gave me a bass for Christmas, and I was in college at the University of Alabama. My brother was a guitar player. So we, um, we started playing in bands down there. I was an independent student and could never get the time of day from any girls or anything like that. And um, then you start playing in bands and uh, you're getting donuts on your doorsteps and all this stuff, drinking free beer all the time. But then over the, the following summer, we, uh, there was a, a guy named Rusty Lukewire uh, that had a band called Western Decadence. It was pretty prominent on the college scene in the South. Um, and they had recorded a, um, you know, the do-it-yourself single and had it on the airwaves, and it was a cool song, and I knew it. Well, and we got it in Muscle Shoals over the summer, and he said, you know, I saw you guys. I thought y'all were really good. I think you had added a lot of charisma to my new band. So uh, here I am in, in my second year of college at the University of Alabama and playing in a touring band, and uh, which turned into a full-time, uh, our band was Storm Orphans, uh, pretty well-known around the southeast. Uh, we played you know, as far as CBGBs, we played uh, L.A., New York, uh, South by Southwest three or four times. So that's how I got started um, in the music business. And from there, I uh, moved to Birmingham. And that band broke up, kind of formed this, had this idea to do some outlaw country music. And we did that um, for probably another five or six years. And, um, and we were, you know, relatively successful, having a lot of fun. Uh, some of the guys started having kids and stuff, so, you know, the band kind of dissolved. And with that, I moved back home to the Shoals. Uh, this would have been around 2003, 2004, something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got there, uh, my good friend Rodney Hall, who we've known each other for many years at Fame Studios, um, talked to him and see what was going on in his place and he was telling me about an exciting writer that he had uh, James LeBlanc who's uh, written tons of country hits and is just an amazing musician and a, and a great songwriter um, so we hooked up with him and started doing some co-writing and at the same time we saw some other talent around town and we're like you know why don't we have a day at the demo studio Studio B uh, which was the secondary remit fame and so out of that group came Jason Isbell, 
um, and Shauna Tucker was in that group, James uh, LeBlanc and Angela Hacker, uh, Gary Nichols was in that group, um, wow. uh, Jimbo Hart from Jason's Band was in that group, So that uh, and our engineer was Jimmy Nutt, so who's got the Nut House now in the Shoals area, so I think we've got eight Grammys out of that group. Wow, and this was in the early 2000s, is right, that right? Right, right, so I these guys, guys were undone, sorry, these guys were, you know, really weren't concentrating on original music. They are playing cover songs. So we're yeah. like, you know, come write songs. That's what you need to do. I um, I think there might be a misconception, or at least I've heard it from a couple of people, that there was kind of a lull in the Shoals area when you have the, the post, you know, 70s and 80s hits coming out of the Shoals, and then you have the documentary coming out in 2013. And a lot of people seem to have the notion of, like, before 2013, 2000 to 2013, there wasn't much going on. But this super group, this Grammy kind of group coming out seems to dispel that notion. Well, it was, and just not many people knew about it. We called it the Tuesday Music Club, kind of like um, Sheryl Crow's thing out in L.A. where they had a music club where, where her first record came from. Uh, and so we all helped each other, and we had two or three drummers, two or three bass players, uh, keyboard players, Everybody was a songwriter. You know, it was pretty apparent really quickly how good Jason was, um, especially his lyrics were amazing. And um, and Sean was great. Uh, James was already well-established as a writer, so he had been writing for Rodney's publishing company at the time. And that's what really was, was going on there more than anything. The period you're talking about, too, was when a lot of the stuff went to Nashville, mm. uh, when the country scene was, and this was before country came to be whatever it is today um, when it was you know stone cold country with uh, you know Garth and, and um, you name it George Jones uh, we're still there recording Merle Haggard from the 80s all the way to this period you're talking about so the work had kind of slowed down right about the disco era hmm. you know and a lot of those players that were studio musicians that had been playing on stuff at Muscle Shell Sound or at Fame you know, started going and getting work in Nashville. So the movie came out, and Rodney and I uh, had talked about, you know, how do we, how do we get more people to, now that people know about the studios, to come. And we started a talent development program called the Call Muscle Shoals, uh, where we invited anybody that wanted to to come to an audition, and they would audition in front of uh, music industry panel. Um, so we did that call program for about four years and then it just kind of the interest died and that's where I kind of transitioned into music policy and how I ended up in Huntsville yeah so that's kind of the beginning of my story and uh, well speaking of from what you do uh, have the experience you do have working with Huntsville um, there's uh, been I think it would be apt to characterize uh, if you build it they will come uh, kind of mentality to building some of the key points of infrastructure for music in the city, building the Orion Amphitheater, building studios, improving the Von Braun Center um, in the hopes that they can kickstart or fast track a music talent community in Huntsville that maybe was not have as much historical roots compared to the Shoals or sure. compared to Nashville. So my question for you is, um, do you think that approach will work? Do you think it is already working? Um, and if so, what evidence is there uh, of, of this already bearing fruit? Um, 
So our plan was was very intentional. I was brought in specifically because of my connection to Muscle Shoals. Uh, they wanted to celebrate that. The development, the, uh, our developer uh, and my colleague Max Groyer uh, was really moved by the Muscle Shoals movie, and 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 that was important to him that uh, he. His company partnered with the city of Huntsville to do it. It's a public-private partnership, Mid-City Mid District is. So there's a pub, public park with a uh, real estate development. So, um, you know, we were very intentional about how we, how we went about it. Um, there was already lots of music talent um, in this area that what happened is it just moves away mm. because there was nowhere to perform, nowhere to go. So, you know, these universities here, Alabama A&M, uh, Oakwood, and, um, and UAH, and even, um, even uh, Drake, I think the, the two-year colleges, um, are, are producing people that do music. But, you know, Brian McKnight went to Oakwood, um, and A&M, is one of the most amazing uh, music schools around here. Really, they, I mean, turn out great musicians that come through their their program, but typically they move away. Mm. So we went out and engaged all these folks and said, "Look, this is what we intend to do, and we want you guys to consider staying here and putting putting music together here and doing it locally." And has it borne fruit yet? I think it. I think it has, but it's still early you know we're um, so we started really I went to Nashville 2017 you got to take two years out for the pandemic uh, so would that be really a four-year period so it's still, sure. still young of course but the other thing that we we thought was really important uh, there was working with the city there was some people that thought the amphitheater should be here there whatever we always really felt that its home was naturally where it is, and I think everybody came to recognize that that was the right right call. The biggest thing that we thought was important is that the team that operated that was independent. The city would own the facility, but it wouldn't be a Live Nation venue. It wouldn't be a AEG venue. It mm -hmm. wouldn't be a you know one promoter's venue. Mm -hmm. It would be an independent venue that all promoters could work at because otherwise, you can get marginalized really quick between Nashville and Birmingham. Mm. And so we got that exactly right too. Yeah. So, and then on the build it, will they come? People said we went and met with you know people, Live Nation in Atlanta and and people in Nashville and. and yeah, they said nobody will come, and um, but Ben Lovett from Mumford and Sons said um, he fell in love with the town when he came here, and and he had played virtually every you know place that matters in the world. Yeah, and he's a super super smart guy and um, and very attentive to detail, and he's he got it, and he said if you build something that the artists love. Mm. they will come. Mm. And that was the, to build something that was timeless, that was classic, um, that was unlike anything else around, and that was amazing for the artists, the back of house, 
was a huge consideration in the way it's built with the back of the house facing towards Mid-City and the stage facing out towards Redstone Arsenal that way. Yeah. Um, it just made a lot of sense. So the all of the artist spaces and stuff are, are incredible and you know it was well thought out and how many trucks we could get in, how many buses we could accommodate. And everybody that plays it loves it. And it, it's, it's a great place. So we got it right on that too. And it mm. was it was a, a team effort. Uh, Ryan Murphy, you know, Ben had worked with him down in, in uh, St. Augustine. And Ryan had a small place, but because he treated his artists right and they curated the events around his amphitheater. But he gets all the big, he got all the big acts down there. And so that's really, we kind of targeted, it's like, this is the guy. And, yeah. and so uh, he got involved with us and, and, and bought in and, you know, the rest is, is so far is, is going amazingly well. What kind of acts, uh, I mean, specifically? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, so the opening weekend, it, it's too it's too many to name. I mean, you know, Widespread Panic's been here many times. Snoop Dogg's been here. Uh, the first weekend, Jason Iswell was uh, part of the opening act, and, he, and they curated that really well to pay homage to Huntsville, the Shoals, and, and the region. You know, James Taylor's been here. Uh, Stevie Nicks has been here. Mm. Um, Legends. Yes, but it goes even further and further than that. I'm interested in, in going further on, on sure. a phrase that you, you mentioned of... Mm-hmm. Uh, wanting to not be kind of shoved aside as just the place in between Nashville and Birmingham. And that goes for live. I think it might also go for recorded music for Huntsville, which um, maybe is also an up-and-coming scene. So what is the end game for Huntsville when it reaches its peak? I'm a huge optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is a top for it this region north alabama is already it's really different than the rest of the state we have more in common really with south tennessee than we do the rest of alabama uh, as far as our geography and our topography i mean we're situated on the tennessee river Mm -hmm. uh, which for us is a huge asset our quality of life is incredible we literally Every bit of the electricity generated here is green power. It's either hydroelectric or nuclear. We have nearly an endless supply of water, which many people, you know, people people talk about oil being the commodity of the next century. I beg to differ. I think it's going to be water. <laughs> Believe me, and I know. We from have California. a lot of it, and I've, <laughs> I've spent quite a bit of time in California, and I, and I understand what you're saying there. So I think, you know, these areas are going to grow together. Mm. Um, as Huntsville's economy grows, as Northern Alabama's economy it's grows, it's going to be the Huntsville, the Huntsville Shells metro area. It'll necessitate a growing of the music industry fuel for the music industry. Everybody will play to their strengths. It's really hard now with the technology, I think, for there to be a, a, a need to build a lot of recording studios here in, in right. Huntsville. Right. You know, we're very blessed that we have some great ones in Shells. Yeah. Uh, probably more than. Most people in our our size have probably twenty easy. Yeah. Um, but it's just what we do, and we have tons of songwriters, tons of talent. Our uh, our schools over there, educational wise, are you know have great fine arts programs, and so they're they're pumping students out. Unfortunately, a lot of them are leaving because there's not enough to do. So we have work to do over there in making 
our space livable and we're, do young people stay yeah. because it's so to make it cool enough for that Huntsville has a lot more to do over here but we're still close enough to where we can transact with each other on that so you know maybe some of our people move over here and maybe some of the people from here come over and record with us but it's going to be a symbiotic relationship it was always planned to be that way yeah so we're just going to we're going to let it happen organically and naturally and i think I think the sky's the limit. Nashville is doing amazing. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in Nashville uh, going to sessions and seeing how that's done. But Nashville's getting so huge. And I talk to people that work there, and they have a four-mile drive to work, and it takes them two hours to get there. Hmm. And, you know, for a young kid, maybe that's the kind of life you want to live. But for me, I, I don't enjoy going to Nashville as much as I used to because it's just gotten so big. Well, let me rephrase my question, and I sure. think you're, you're hinting I, I, at this. Okay. Is, um, is there room for another Nashville? And based on what you've said so far, not only is it that, that maybe that's not the question. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, does Huntsville want to be another Nashville? I don't think so. I think Huntsville wants to be Huntsville. Mm-hmm. And I think the Shoals want to be the Shoals. We have such a... I mean, our history, W.C. Handy and Sam Phillips were born in Florence, Alabama. Mm. That is the birthplace of American popular music. Yeah. I mean, they don't get any bigger than that. Yeah, so let's start talking about some of the unique assets that set apart Huntsville and the Shoals from what we've said so far, and I think just kind of the basic groundwork. Huntsville is a larger industrial base. Um, It has more tech. As yep. a military, uh, the Shoals, I think, has the deeper recording Cre- history. It's Very creative, studios. creative, artsy people. So what are the parallel paths for the Shoals and Huntsville to uniquely uh, utilize what they have that the other one doesn't? How are they going to differ in their development? They're going to differ in their development because they're going to play to their own identities. Yeah, like what, what so, will the Shoals know, do that you know maybe Huntsville wouldn't be able to do? They can't be the birthplace of W.C. Handy and the birthplace of Sam Phillips, the birth of the father of the blues and the father of rock and roll. That can only happen in one place, mm. Florence, Alabama. So that's something you can't, even though W.C. Handy was the band director at Alabama A&M. Mm. So we have those connections, you know, and um, Huntsville, Dr. Von Braun was a huge influence on the culture of Huntsville. Um, when the rocket scientists came here from Texas, they saw this as a little Bavaria with the mountains, and they felt like they were back in Germany, and they really missed the culture that they had. And this is pretty pretty well known that uh, he was instrumental in helping to get the symphony, the ballet, uh, the arts program here going. That's um, so why Huntsville had an ice hockey team uh, in, in the <laughs> 70s and 80s when no colleges in the South ever had one. Must, they must have traveled a long way to their uh, other games. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and had people come in here a lot. Um, but that was, a, that was a big kickstarter for Huntsville. But um, to answer your question, I, th- I think that both cities have uniquely different things that are very important that they can play to and still have their own identities, but we can still be within the same region right. and work together. And, right. and that's, our, that's our advantage to work together and uh, not to compete with one another. Sure, yeah. yeah. You want to occupy 
different niches in support of one each other and not try and fill the same niche. Right. Especially when there's Nashville and you don't want to fill the Nashville niche and too. It, they do their thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think we want a bunch of uh, peddling beer wagons going going around town like you see on Lower Broad and stuff like that. It's great. I, I like walking up and down that street every now and then, mm-hmm. but it's Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's very unique to them and what we have is very unique to us. One thing that comes to mind when you talk talk about placemaking in the Shoals is what's been done with the old Muscle Shoals sound studio as well as the old Fame studios. And mm-hmm. I think Muscle, Muscle Shoals is maybe even the better example of, you know, it after the documentary came out, um, it was repurchased. Uh, the Muscle Shoals Sound Foundation was set up. It's now a museum. Uh, if I'm not wrong, one of the top, maybe the top tourist destination in Alabama. But it also functions as a studio. It's true. It's a very popular uh, attraction. It, um, Lana Del Rey just was there recording. They don't do a lot of sessions there. It's capable of doing sessions. Mm-hmm. But Fame's a working studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is still full on. They do sessions there all the time. It's just like in the old days. They don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, at any one time... Any number of famous people were recording in that studio, and no one ever knew it. Uh, and that's the way Rick liked it, and that's the way Rodney and, and the family do stuff. It's a great place to record. They do tours at both places. I'd say the difference is that Fame is a working studio, uh, 3614. The, the one that doesn't really get talked about is the Muscle Shoals Sound on Alabama Avenue which is where Bob Seger recorded all of his stuff that was eventually bought by Malico Records. It's, uh, there's currently some working studio in there. That's where my band cut our first EP when, uh, back in 1989. Uh, and Linda Ronstadt and um, Bob Dylan and on and on and on. That studio was absolutely amazing. Hmm. It's still... You know, a working, functioning, uh, there's a place, I think it's called Portside. And then Tanya Holly um, was doing some movie movie production stuff there. Um, She's still, you know, running that place. But the history of that place has never been documented. And it it was fabulous. Do Um, Do you think that the historical cultural assets like these studios are being used to the full extent and potential that they have? So I think, you know, 3614 really is doing exactly what they need to do. It, it's, it's meant to be a, a historical spot, a great tourist attraction. And if people, you know, want to come cut there, that's, that's great too. Um, fame's doing its thing. You know, I think I'd love to see, you know, uh, that, that building uh, down on Alabama Avenue used to be a Naval Reserve. It is a huge building. It's enormous. So the upkeep on it is tremendously expensive. Um, I'd love to see it get the love that it needs to return it to its its former glory. Yeah. Um, and those are things that we that we have to to get done. Um, and then there are a lot of a lot of great things going on in Florence. University of North Alabama. North we call ourselves North Alabama now. Um, is a is a growing university, Division One, uh, investing in itself. Uh, got a new music school that's being built there, um, and we are just really, really, really excited about the potential we have because we have an amazing arts community there already, and we have a lot of natural. 
places that don't have to be place made. They just have to be place used and developed <laughs> properly. Sure. And um, and I think we can do that. Mm. And I think it's uh, if we're as intentional with what we do there as what Huntsville is doing here, we're going to be really successful. Mm. Clearly, you're very bullish on the potential of the Shoals, but it also sounds like there are certain lessons that you feel like uh, maybe, or, or certain, it needs to be executed properly, let's say that. Well, I think you, lessons, I think you said, might be a better word. Mm. One of the biggest problems is the ability for people there to work collaboratively. But, you know, the movie tells the story of, of two studios who were amazingly successful that were actively always trying to put each other out of business. Muscle Shoals and fame. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that's well known. That's not something Sean said. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, how is that collaborative? Right. You know, how is that working together? So if we are collaborative... If we're not turf protectors, if we're not, you know, it's, it's my way or the highway, those are the things that hold you back. Hmm. You're not going to get there that way. The problem of, of not being collaborative, of being siloed, self-centered, whatever you want to call it, right. is that more of a people problem or is that a problem that infrastructure or policy changes can make any effect on? Um, absolutely, policy changes and, and infrastructure can make a change on anything because... You want to say, this is my piece of dirt, and I'm going to stay here, and everything around me starts to flourish. You know, I mean, you just... Like a, does, a does, rising tide lifts all same, boats. Same, yeah, Mayor Battle said that very well, and mm. it's a, a pretty well-known saying, um, and I agree with it. And, you know, collaboration is always better than walling yourself off. And so that's what we're really going to look for is people that want to collaborate, want to work together. We have a great university that we want to uplift and get the word out to the, to the world. You, you come here, send your student here, and they're going to get a great education in entertainment industry and in nursing and engineering, whatever they want. And they're going to have a fabulous time while they do it. And, um, and they might want to stay because it's a really cool place. And, you know, a lot of people are... Some of the people that have been in Nashville for a long time, and we do a lot of work between the Shoals and Nashville have for a long time. A lot of those people are coming down. Uh, it's a very affordable place to live. It's got tons of natural resources. Uh, it's a great quality of life. And so a lot of people are saying, oh, big city, I've had enough of that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to come down here and do my creativity down here. And we say, come on. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're going to have the spaces and places to do it. Mm. I have one last question, yes, sir. which is... It's a, it's a tough one. It's a spicy meatball. Hey, man, I'll, if I can take it, I'll take it. Okay, the year is 2050. Both the Shoals and Huntsville have executed their plans according to the way that they want to. Which one has the bigger music scene? North Alabama. It's going to be regional. Okay. There's not... There's going to be one scene. And, you know, the other thing is not just... Huntsville and the Shoals, you've got Athens, you've got Decatur, you've got all these other cities in between us that have, you know, the Alabama Shakes are from Athens, you know. I mean, so there's, it's just naturally going to happen, um, just like Dallas-Fort Worth happened, mm. just like um, Nashville-Franklin-Murfreesboro happened, mm. just like Birmingham-Tuscaloosa happened. These things are just 
naturally going to happen as more people find out what a great place this is. One of my takeaways from all this is that a large part of building a thriving music ecosystem is firmly outside the control of business or government interests. You can build studios, you can provide tax incentives, you can build schools, but you can't build talented people and get them to stay. In fact, it seems entire communities sometimes spring out of the original Herculean effort of just one person. Rick Hall in Muscle Shoals, Sam Phillips in Nashville, even Prince in Minneapolis-St. Paul. You, you can't really control that. But you can stack the deck. Huntsville's initial music efforts look to me like a play to improve quality of living through music, not just for the music industry's sake, but to convince its engineers, its teachers, its construction workers to stay in Huntsville and not move away. While Muscle Shoals is upping its music education and highlighting its historical music assets like its studios, reusing them and and building into a place where new musical talent thrives and old musical talent loves to visit and maybe stay. In the end, I think Sean is right that if the area is to succeed, they'll need to fuse the best of what they each have to offer. The Shoals for producing and attracting music talent and Huntsville for providing the big city needs like money, larger venues, nightlife, things that music and musicians need that they can't necessarily get in the Shoals. Even then, there's no guarantees. How long will public, political, and commercial support last for these efforts? And will it be long enough until the musical chemical reaction is self-sustaining? I'm deeply grateful to everyone who I interviewed. Norbert, Sandra, Bob, Joy, and extra special thanks to Sean Patrick for going above and beyond in welcoming me to Northern Alabama. Your passion really shined through and helped show me the very best parts of the scene. Finally, biggest thanks of all to Momentual, Music City's events, and Pablo Klapp, who organized the event and invited me to Huntsville in the first place. This wouldn't have come together without you. Till next time.